Welcome to Trending in Education, the Silver Quicken Edition. This is Mike Palmer. I'm here today with Chris Ryan and Leslie Turner, who are the team behind a product called Silver Quicken. A lot of interesting narrative elements applied to puzzles and cryptography and problem solving. It's designed for kids aged nine to 13. I want to get into the product mindset. I want to get into all the trends and the zeitgeisty thinking they may have. But before we do any of that, Chris, welcome back to Trending in Education. And Leslie, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Mike. It's it's great to be back. It is. It's like Welcome for the first time. Yes. Second time. Yes. It's great to be back on the show. We'll include a link to our previous conversation, which I, I was recalling was about the connection between imposter syndrome and growth mindset, which, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, it's a good one. It's an oldie, but a goodie. There is a conversation that we can refer back to in which Chris gave his origin story. Mm. But, uh, but Leslie, first time someone's on the show, we always uh, love to get your origin story. What got you to this point? in your professional life, but tips up on how you got to where you are. Great. Thanks. I'm so delighted to be here. So I started my career in consulting, but always had a passion for education. So my mom and most of my cousins were teachers. And even during business school, I was drawn to the sort of nascent at the time called e-learning field. That dates me a little, I understand. But, um, you know, I did, I did some of that work with some early ed tech startups when I was in, in grad school. And then in the early 2000s, joined a startup called Wireless Generation. It was called Amplify later in its life. When I joined, I led account management and implementation. And it was at a time when we went from having about 50,000 students to about 2 million students. And in that time, I spent lots of time in classrooms, in schools, and districts across the country. And the thing that we kept hearing was people were excited about the products that we had were early literacy assessment tools. And they, they said, this is great. It's giving me lots of information about my kids, but what do I do now? How do I incorporate this into my instruction. And so what I moved over and entrepreneurially started a a professional services organization within the company that focused on exactly this question, helping teachers really use data and information that they had at their disposal to figure out how to target instruction for their students. And spent a lot of time, I was there for about over a dozen years, and most of it was spent leading that group to try to help teachers and leaders really make data, data-based decisions about instruction, blending the science and the art of teaching. Since I left, I've been doing consulting for ed tech startups in product development, in professional de- development, et cetera. But I always was searching because I had little kids at the time. Now my boys are 13 and 11. I've been doing the consulting work for about five years. And they were little and there was so little that was available for them to help extend learning outside of school and make it fun. And so I piloted, I guess in 2016 or 17, piloted a summer learning program that was a kind of a box of materials that parents could use at home to make learning fun. Life and work intervened and I, I didn't take that much further. But when I reconnected with Chris, um, who was a friend from grad school in 2020, and he had this idea, I thought this is perfect. It blends everything that I love, which is bringing education in a fun way to to students. And by this time, I knew that kids in the middle grades were so important and so often neglected in education yeah. that it just seemed like the best fit. And then Chris said, uh, quickly, can you get yourself, spin us a short yarn. Right. Yeah. Not the whole scheme. Exactly. Pat would get tangled in, but just like us. Yeah. So physics major, early TFA member that got me into teaching. That's Teach for America for those of you scoring at home. Yes. So that got me into teaching. I was in the early stages and, and discovered just how awesome and how awesomely hard teaching is. Went back to business school, found myself drawn 
into education and teaching, even when I wasn't supposed to be. And that's how Leslie and I met was uh, we both served on the curriculum committee for our respective classes. Was this at Fuqua? At Fuqua, that's right. Fuqua, I pronounced it correctly. I was going to say, yeah. what the Fuqua? And back to the origin, I then went and did consulting myself and then into the standardized test prep world and spent a lot of time there, 17 years and discovered how powerful that world can be in transforming the limits. Actually, I just did see Coach K talk about what education is. It's like extending the limits. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. That's what you and I did, Mike. Right. We would help students who didn't believe they could master the math of whatever the test was or the, the whatever it was testing. We helped them realize they could, mm -hmm. right? We were on the side of the student. We were pure coach. And it made me realize, wow, it's really even harder than I remember for teachers because teachers have to be both coach and judge. Yeah. You got to give the grade, right? You got to assess. And so with the, the pandemic and, and all the kind of reflections that people had at the beginning of that, and it's still going on, I started to think about what, what could pull together all the strands for me. I've, I've always had an interest in media and entertainment as well as in education, love fantasy literature and sci-fi and so forth, and thought about what are ways we can pull this together and really create a, an invigorating product for kids that's inspiring curiosity and wonder and all these other good things that yeah. are too often missing. Yeah. And then the thing that we're talking about is this silver quicken academy there's a storyline behind it all it's delivered through these wonderful packages you were kind enough to send me one which me and my wife were marbling at and i was able to crack it open and cheat my way through two of the puzzles which are really we'll get into that as well but chris maybe starting with you and then i'd love to hear a little more from leslie your perception of this but what is silver quicken and how would you describe it to to someone who who may not have any familiarity Sure. So in a nutshell, we provide, I'd say, really awesome enrichment programs for middle grade kids, age nine through 13, or mm -hmm. even it getting as young as third grade, to be honest, up to eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And these enrichment programs take various forms. There is this Quest Club, which is a subscription package that comes with a lot of puzzles each month. But it's not just puzzles. They're woven into a story that involves these 10 kids who are part of the secret Silver Quicken school where technology is like magic and where kids become superheroes. So we've got this kind of, I don't want to say Harry Potter-esque, I guess I just did, feel to the this enwrapping story. Then there are puzzles within that. And those puzzles are the thing that together with the story, and then there are games and other products we have that engage kids. So we've got a subscription service with the Quest Club. We have an after-school in-person club called Solvers Club that's just started going in a couple of places. It's the same principles at work, but it's in-person and with a group. We also have online courses. We've done birthday parties. We've done in-person camps with longer courses. So those are the things we have right now. Yeah. And then let's see, part of that is you and Chris actually working through some of this with the students themselves, right? So just like you were talking about when you were consulting, you would get out there in the field, you were a teacher. Now you're putting that cap back on a bit more as you're both rolling out the product, but then seeing kids interact with it in real time. Can you catch us up on what that experience has been like? 
Yeah, it's been, I think that's the best part of the experience is seeing kids interact with the, both the story and the puzzles. And we take that really seriously. All that feedback is really directing how we continue to evolve the product. So our first courses were online courses, as Chris mentioned, and they were set with a kit similar to the one you received, but bigger and had more things. And it had these wax sealed chapters of the story. So kids would read in between every, we met once a week online. This was during the height of the pandemic. So it, it made a lot of sense and kids were used to that, but they would read a chapter of a novel. And then we would do puzzles that kind of related to what the kids in the story were doing. And kids loved it. They thought the world that we were painting was so much fun. And as Chris mentioned, kids get superpowers when they're in this world. It's a bit of a virtual reality and it's fun. And the thing, the magical powers, if you will, they're not magical, really they're technology, but they feel magic. It's a fun, it's a fun experience to read about. And the puzzles were fun and the group activities we did were a lot of fun. And that's what we heard. But we also heard that some kids said, this is too much reading. Like I can't do this with all my schoolwork. And so we took that into account when we revised the course we made it a lot skinnier of a reading effort, right? So instead of doing a whole chapter of 30 pages, we made it more of a novella. So they were mm -hmm. reading 10 pages at a time. And that, that is just one example of how we really take that feedback into consideration. To get back to your original question, was like watching the kids interact with it. The other thing that I think has really shaped who we are and, and what we develop is watching kids struggle and really be excited about that struggle. I think so much of what we do in K-12 education when we have to test kids and we do, and there's a need for that, but it makes everything more, a little more high stakes and it makes things more anxiety producing and more scary. But we actually have found that we were able to pack a lot of rigor into these puzzles that are, there are, some of them are really hard, yeah. but because they're intrinsically fun and motivating, kids love them. And so watching kids struggle, for example, one, last summer, one of the puzzles was this music puzzle and it had a, it had a staff that was, had letters, but they were obscure. So you couldn't really tell what they said. But once you figured it out, you realize that the notes corresponded to the letters and it spelled something. And one of our students in one of the camps we did was so frustrated because he was a musician. And he said, this is not a, this isn't a staff I recognize. This isn't, he was mad. Mm -hmm. At the end I asked, so what was everyone's favorite puzzle? He said, I love that music one. <laughs> but when he finally got it, it was like a breakthrough and he felt so proud that he was able to crack it. Mm -hmm. even though it was really scary at first. So watching kids kind of get over that hump of fear, the conditioning they have of being judged and to just realize that struggling is okay. Productive struggle is a good thing. Yeah. A fun thing has been really helpful and has, you know, inspired us to continue to make these things both rigorous and fun. Yeah. I was feeling guilty as I opened up the solution set this morning when I was trying to get through all the puzzles in time for today. But it was nice in that you have that opportunity. If you do want to just look at the answers, just like right. frequently, you know, you're solving your crossword puzzle nowadays, you could always go to Google. There are ways to, to fast track to the answer. Yeah. Yeah. But I did like that idea, you know, desirable difficulty is the learning science term that's out there that is very much built into this. The other choice that I thought was really interesting, and maybe you could pick up with this, Chris, is mm -hmm. the idea that what you're teaching the kids, teaching them to decipher puzzles, why is that useful? How is that connected to maybe their core K through six experience to this point where it didn't seem like, to me, it reminded me a little bit of, you know, I was a, I was a strong mathlete growing up and mm -hmm. it did remind me of being pushed to, to learn new things and to flex different cognitive muscles. Yeah. Yep. And one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is the future of work and how jobs are becoming more technical. Uh, I'd love to hear a little more from you around what kind of thinking went into this kind of, uh, 
content strategy because it does feel like it will help get kids on some interesting tracks, I think, if they're really excited by this. Yeah, that's that. It's very deliberate. It, we want the content to be cool and fun. And so that means picking unusual things or even giving concepts that they've encountered in some other way in universe names. I'll give an example of that. We have a process of puzzle solving called see, wonder, pretend test. Hmm. That is the scientific method in just gussied up in a different form and turned into questions. Like you can say, so what do you see? What do you notice right. right now? What do you wonder? And we're not the only ones to ever have done that. This dates back to George Polia, mm -hmm. Polia questions from math. But we said, oh, we want to do it this way. The same thing happens with puzzles themselves. So the theory of the case on the puzzles and the, the content is we want it to be cool and unusual, sort of defamiliarizing, even where it ties back to core. And then we're teaching logical and critical thinking through these puzzles. You attack them and they're designed to be intrinsically motivating as opposed to here's a quiz do this quiz and kids get this all the time. They have assignments, they have worksheets. We give them a puzzle. And what's a puzzle? A puzzle is something that's interesting at the start. You want to figure it out. And then when you do figure it out, you get the reward from the figuring out of it. It's all of a piece. And then we tie it to the story. We tie it to the other things, but puzzles are really a theme. I had a, I worked with a TV producer who said the same thing about narrative. He said, what's really boring is two plus three equals what's interesting is two plus something equals five. What's that something? Just that kind of like little mental turnaround goes into all of our design of the puzzles. And then that's fungible. That's transferable kind of thinking. And we also want them to be, want them to be rigorous appropriately. So it's the desirable difficulty, not, you know, zone right. possible development, all those yeah. things are the middle of the hunt. Yeah. You don't, you don't want learned helplessness. You learned want helplessness. desirable difficulty. Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's learned or unlearned, we don't want helplessness at all. So yeah, that's part of the calibration that we do with kids and seeing like, you know, at a certain point, if they're too frustrated, they're just too frustrated. But if you think about a lot of the, the time in school where we do brain work, it's not really fun because we never get to that desirable difficulty point. We, we cut it off early. It's, a, we're going to feed it to you and you're going to execute two plus three equals over and over and over again so that we're training you. But if you're confronted with a, a rich puzzle and the pressure's off from outside, there's no assessment, there's no judge standing nearby and you can take however much time you want, then you can chew on it. You can allow your lateral thinking. It's when we create all these extrinsic motivations and pressures that, you know, what the researchers tell us is, Hey, the, the blinders go on. There are all kinds of shutdowns. So if we want kids to be ready to solve the big, difficult problems of the world mm -hmm. in the future, we got to give them opportunities to do really good meaty brain work that isn't immediately assessed and chopped up and made in a sense too easy. Leslie said, like, we have some really rigorous puzzles. Kids are decoding the Georgian script, the Amharic script used in Ethiopia in our classes. These kinds of things, the, the, the cryptographies, it's a vehicle that's cool and unusual on the outside. And, you know, is there a direct, are, are some of the kids going to go be cryptographers or cryptocurrency experts or coders? Yes, I, probably, but more to the point, these are vehicles for exercising good meaty brain work of critical thinking and they, they struggle, they do all the, the growth mindset 
along the way. And we talk about growth mindset as cocoon and butterfly, mm -hmm. which is actually inaccurate because as you know, Mike, butterflies come out of chrysalises or chrysalides, if you really want to go with the Greek plural. Yeah. It's moths that come out of cocoon and kids in the story, the fictional kids make a point of this. Right. It shouldn't be cocoon and butterfly, but mm -hmm. that's memorable. And hey, that's a reminder. You got to break out of the cocoon. If you, if you cut the butterfly or the moth really out of the cocoon too early, then their wings don't grow. Right. We talk a lot about that in the class. You probably saw it. It was in one of the booklets too, as a technique for sort of yeah. puzzle solving. People will quote it and they'll be like, oh yeah, you can't tell me cocoon and butterfly, just like they do in the story. As Chris mentioned with see, wonder, pretend test, we have a lot of these in-universe terms that help make learning fun, even if it could be dry. You mentioned the future of work. You know, our kids are growing up and will graduate into a world that is going to require them to be able to tackle novel problems. Look at what we've just all been through the last two years and how much science was able to take us to a vaccine so soon. Or what, what's happening with climate change is really going to be something for them to solve. And they need to be able to not only problem solve and think critically, but consider different perspectives and think outside of the norm. And so puzzles really help them do that because sometimes you look at a puzzle and there's, you've never encountered anything like it before. And you have to just think, what do I know? What do I wonder? What do I see? And that is a real skill. As fun as it is at the time, that's a real skill. Getting comfortable with that and being confident in that is something that our kids are going to need and that we're going to need for our kids to have. Absolutely. Yeah, I was struck particularly by the two in the middle, the wonder and pretend. It does feel like we, we want to skip over the middle part. <laughs> and, you know, see something and solve it, you know, plug and chug. There's all these sort of drill and practice, drill and repeat, when in reality, the world is much more ill-structured and requires that creativity and lateral thinking. I'd love to dig in a little more, both on the, the physicality of the experience and the idea that it is very much not designed for screens. You know, the fact that this is something that is physical, you ship these really cool pencils so that there is an offline experience to the experience of solving these things. Maybe beginning with you, Leslie, and then picking up with Chris, any thoughts around the design of, of the packaging and the, maybe the use cases, the context in which folks uh, might be leaning into these learning experiences. Absolutely. It definitely has been intentional to be off screen, though we know that eventually we will have a sort of video game version of this and hopefully a movie and a film about the characters. And we have big hopes for the silver cricket world, but well, we did design it offline on purpose. And as parents ourselves, we see how much time our kids are spending online. And that's been amplified over the past two years, obviously. And so we wanted to give kids a way to get offline and do something that is physical. We also know that when kids are interacting with, there's a lot of research around an interaction with print and reading and how, you know, reading from print actually helps with reading. But, but also solving puzzles with a pencil enables you to erase and try again. It's not a pen. You'll notice it is a pencil with an eraser, not a pen. Because we know that those mistakes are just as important to the learning as getting the answer right. And so we think that those things are critical to the product design. And I think that it helps to, when kids have to imagine and they have to read the stories that come with the quests, it really flexes the part of the brain that might not otherwise be there if they're seeing everything given to them. So we've given them pictures of the characters as a little starter. Here are these characters of who they are. But then when they have to read about the adventure, they're conjuring that in their minds and they're having to imagine what's happening. And then with the puzzles filling it in, they're getting a little bit more of a flavor, but it's really becoming their own adventure. Mm -hmm. Chris, the, the narrative is the other element. It's the fact that there's something physical, tangible there, but then 
the amount of work that went into the story of the course. Can you share a little bit of that? Spin us a, a longer yarn a bit about what Silver Quicken is. One thing that struck me was the depth of the backstory, even as I was ultimately solving four puzzles, mm-hmm. they were put into a much deeper narrative context, sense of setting, sense of character, um, sense, sense of like imaginative place. A lot of that I think came from your design thinking. Can you catch us up a little on that? Yeah. Yeah. As Leslie described the evolution of our product line, we started with really intense amount of reading, which came from a lot of writing and that imaginative world we've been pulling back from and putting the right amount of doses into different products. So for instance, with the after school clubs that we have now, we aren't reading something. We aren't even reading the novella. What we're doing is we're showing them the characters. We're giving them little bits and pieces of the world. But even the kind of episodes that you're getting in the quest club, we're not doing so much in the after school. We're doing the water Falcon game, which is like the, one of the Quidditches of, uh, and, and they have shields, they have physical shields. It's one of the Quidditches, so to speak of the silver quicken school. And so back to where this the sort of all genesis from, uh, I'm a huge fan of Harry Potter and of Lord of the Rings. And, and in particular, I love the earth sea series from Ursula K. Le Guin, which is also about a school for wizards. And so this concept of a secret school that is inherently American in its best sense of diverse and yeah. inclusive and modern. Found, founded by, by, by Ben, right? By Ben Franklin, but not without controversy. One, one piece is that he was doing it to atone for a, a secret sin that we find out about more in, in the second novella. Uh, so the sort of history of the school gives us a way to explore modern topics very much so. And just to jump in, not to glorify American history, but to tell it like it should have always been told and just to talk about the complexity of it and how something good can come out of what we have to acknowledge the not good. Yeah. It was interesting also the bracketing of fictional every time you talk about history, which is important in this day and age where it's pretty easy for folks to mistake good narrative for the truth. That was something where there was a very conscious effort in here yeah. to, to position this as historical fiction, I guess. Yeah, That's right. We're very clear with the kids. In fact, in our live courses, we, we talk about epistemology and introduce them to that term. And how do you know what you know? What are the ways? Could you know that two plus two equals five? Would that be knowledge? And kids, you know, the sort of mind blown or the, ooh, that's really interesting. How do you know that the earth is round? Those sorts of things, which becomes a media literacy kind of training that we certainly need. I mean, we were launching this in the summer and fall of 2020, which was, and, and it continues to be a time of disinformation around the world as we discover. So this kind of uh, distinction and making sure, you know, What's fact, what's fiction. We're being clear about that. The importance of the narrative, just to to wrap up on that, is that we wanted a really rollicking, fun adventure story that can bring in all the kids who would see this. It's actually been part of our revision and pivoting process of starting with 10 perspectives. We know that's too many points of view for a children's story. So that's part of the revision process that we've been going through. We heard from kids, not only was it 
too long, but hey, I, I lost track of, I missed this character, which I met in the beginning, but then I never saw it through his or her point of view again, mm -hmm. uh, as it kind of on purpose jumped around. So we realized, oh, what we have to do is come back to our first principle is fun. Like it's gotta be compelling engaging and Catherine price talks about in her book, the power of fun that we're looking for playfulness and connection and flow. The story itself, that story is something that, that people have loved since time immemorial and, and can see themselves in the story. So we wanted to make the story something where kids could see themselves in the story and then be learning through that. We think it gives kids a way to reflect on a theme and reflect back to the kids in the story. So. Our preteens in Silverquicken sometimes deal with difficult decisions that they have to make or, or strong emotions or things that we know real preteens are dealing with as well. And so to have them see an example of that makes it really easy to talk about and think about um, versus having to do it personally. Because sometimes it's hard if you're having a strong emotion or something, you can't, it's hard to articulate that as a young adolescent. But if you see someone going through it, to be able to think about, oh, they could have made a different choice or I might have done it this way can help them think back on their own struggles and their own challenges as they grow at this incredibly pivotal time in their life. So we like having that connection to the kids because it gives a framework for all of us to be talking about the same issues. Yeah. And then the fact that it's not reality, it is fiction, it is a creative, imaginative space allows a little more freedom and disconnection from that's right. The, you know, all the trauma and the challenges of the lives that we're living on a day-to-day -day basis. I would like to hear a little more about the power of the cohort and the way in which the kids work together or they work with their parents to solve problems. That is another element of sort of next level, second order insights that probably come from this beyond just solving the puzzle, figuring out how to work with other people to solve things. Yeah, it's so important and such, it's so core to what we care about and what we want Silver Quicken to be. It's so important for kids at this age group, especially all kids, but at this age group to identify with peers and to feel like they're valued and accepted and to, to really be seen. And I think a lot of times in school when you're being judged or when you're in on a sports team and you're being judged or you're making the team or you're not, there's so much opportunity for feeling like failure or for feeling like you're judged in a way that isn't accepting. But as we talked about earlier, puzzles are intrinsically motivating. And also they're meant to be tried again and tried again and tried again. No one gets most of these puzzles on the first try. Nobody has seen Amharic unless you're living in Ethiopia and then you know the language. So it's new to everybody who's encountering it. And so working together and, and understanding that it's okay to fail. This is, a, this is a safe environment to try something, make a mistake, go back. And you're experiencing that with your peers. It's something that we think is pretty unique and important. We try to codify it actually at another in-universe way we talk about this is through, we call them the three strands. There's the find path, um, weaver, chanter, and commons keeper. The find path is the part of your brain or the part of you that is really asking for answers, seeking answers, trying to solve puzzles, right? The weaver chanter is the creative part of your brain, thinking up new things, brainstorming, the part of you that really is coming up with new ideas, asking what are the questions. Um, and the commons keeper is the part of you, the part of your brain that is about building team and working together and coming to a viewpoint and things like that and bringing people together. And it really says we are the answer. And so we talk about that. That's part of the story that Chris has written. But we talk about it in our classes and we talk about it when we do, whether it's an event, a live session or the after school club that Chris mentioned. And kids start to use the terms too. And the thing that's so important about them is we all have them in differing amounts and at different times in our lives. We have different amounts of those. And just in fact, in a class I was teaching recently, one of the little 
voice said, oh, this is so important in puzzles because different people bring different skills. It's like that. We need all different kinds of brains. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what we need. So, you know, in, in some of these things, they are team-based like the club, but for the quest, the, the product that you've experienced, that can be done individually, but it can also be done with parents, as you said, with siblings. We even have kids who are doing it with friends who are across state lines or even overseas. So they'll get, they'll get on a leap and they'll do it together. And so that is such an important part of building community. Yeah, it's almost like the difficulty level is such that it's designed for collaborative solving. It's It's got to be easier if you're not struggling with it by yourself, which also runs counter to a lot of the individualistic aspects of our educational system, where you take this summative test and you as an individual are being measured individually, when in reality, there's certainly elements of that to our professional lives, but a lot of it, you know, Increasingly, it's the durable skills, it's the collaborative skills, it's the ability to solve together and nice. make the, I, I imagine that day, Leslie, when the, the boy had that insight, I would say y'all can go home now uh, because my work, my work here is done. It was so much fun. Yeah, it was so great to hear that. Yeah. Chris, uh, thoughts from you? Yeah, I'm thinking of another one of the after-school clubs and our, our teacher, Stam, and I was there with her, took one boy aside. He had been really almost domineering at his table about one puzzle and said to him, hey, you're really strong, fine path today. I want you to work on your comments keeper part mm. and, you know, take that role on with your table on the next puzzle. And he did. And that language, we're not like saying, oh, that's the be all end all, but it's yeah. an example of by having a different kind of this imaginative place that's displaced from the everyday, it feels magical when you come into a silver quicken experience that allows you to work on some of the same things and being a good commons keeper and tapping into that role of pulling people together is core, whether you've got an individual product like the quest club, that is really like, Hey work on this with a friend, I'm meeting up with a, a parent soon who has talked about doing this and it's a great opportunity to work on this with his son. Yeah. And exactly. He's been solving the puzzles with his son. And then he said to me, I, I helped him see his geometry homework in the same light. And he did the geometry homework with a smile on his face. And like, yes. Now we can go home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it does make me think about, you know, as we're getting closer to conclusion, how this lessons from your experience here might apply more broadly to K-12 education. You both have experience teaching adults as well. Any insights or perspectives from your experience with Super Quicken that might apply more broadly around trends in education, the future of learning? I'll say that we're trying to carve out a space for non-assessed, really fun brain work. And there just needs to be space for that in education, enrichment kinds of activities like learning the Georgian, not the Georgia with a Georgia on my mind, Georgia peaches, but the Georgia over by the Black Sea, um, that kind of thing, that shouldn't be extra for kids this age. It should be core. And so we want this kind of fun brain work space to happen and we want the offline like you can't swipe a piece of paper and we've all done to ourselves with smartphones and tablets and so forth we've created a really swipe culture and the dopamine hits of what's the next thing and swipe away and it really hurts that 
weaver chantering sort of divergent thinking, but still we're, the, the, the diffuse mode of problem solving. If you never are giving yourself space to think about something and paper and pencil, uh, these kinds of puzzles give you that space, then your education is impoverished. So we want to link up with others who are looking to carve out a space. We're not saying don't have assessments. We're not saying replace all of K-12 education with silver quick and like things. But one tagline that we have for the story is it's 10 kids chosen for a secret school who are training to save the world in their spare time. So yes, this has to have its place, but we think that it's really important that there be a place for this. And this is not just extra. To build on that, we see silver quicken as not necessarily being a core, as you said, not, not overtaking ELA, math, science, and social studies, but being able to fit into all of them. And so we can see teachers using this both as an after-school club, as they are starting to do, but even bringing it into their math class. And once a week, you do the silver quicken puzzles, or you use a, do a quest. Every week, we're doing a new quest of one puzzle a week. One of my kids, you know, they, they do a little clip of CNN 10 at the end of every class. And he looks forward to that so much because he gets to learn what's going on in the world in an age-appropriate way. It's only 10 minutes, so it's not taking from the teacher's core curriculum that they are required to provide, but maybe you do a puzzle every day. Maybe there's a way to build some of this diffuse thinking into your classroom, and we would love to be able to, we're constantly thinking about how we could create products that teachers could use in that way and that schools could adopt in all their classes to supplement what they're doing and to bring that element of fun and joy into learning. That's awesome. I've, I've referred to it as flirting in the past, but uh, people don't really like that portmanteau. So it's still, we're still workshopping it. Edutainment. I'm trying to make fetch happen, Mike. <laughs> but edutainment is the other one that also did yeah. don't like that. Because once you had fun, it's like people start to look askance at you. I don't know why people right. are like that. We're very close to time. If folks want to learn more about Silver Quicken, where should they go? Silverquicken.com. As we wrap up, I always love to hear what else is capturing folks' imagination. Also, where you're finding inspiration. I listen to podcasts in part for motivation, uh, as well as for new ideas. So if you have anything along in any of those lines, we're entering the, the concluding thoughts phase of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think there are other podcasts that are interesting to us. Some of the kid ones that we really like are the Gen Z Media podcasts. They're, you know, they're stories and they're exciting stories for this age group. And I think listening to my kids love them. Uh, we listen to them on road trips and uh, have been for the past few years. Those are really exciting because they're just fun and they really capture the imagination. I think also it's not a thing to listen to, but the adolescent activism that I see my eighth grader starting to participate in and the high schoolers in my, in, in my community and in the broader community, I think is really is really inspirational to us because we want kids to become critical thinkers that can participate in that. And so I think the rise in that it has been very motivating and, and inspiring to me. Oh, awesome. and both of us. Yeah. And I'll add in one particular podcast uh, that my wife got me onto and has been very reassuring through all this is We Can Do Hard Things, the Glennon Doyle. In fact, some of the specific, like there are growth mindset sorts of things that happen in there that you say, oh yeah, this is parenting. This is teaching, this is educating, this is building a company. Yeah, the company is Silver Quicken. Hopefully folks are intrigued. Silverquicken.com is where you can find out more, particularly if you're in that, you know, age range or you're approaching that age range. I'm already thinking about my three-year-old. When will he be ready to learn through wonder and joy and fun through puzzles? Thank you so much, Chris, Ryan, and... 
Leslie Kerner from Silver Quick. And thanks so much for joining us on today's show. Thank, Thank you, Mike. Awesome, man. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed. If you enjoyed, write us a review, share the good word. This is Trending in Education. We'll be back again soon.